Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. We're going to teach out of Ephesians chapter 4, which is where we've been for two weeks prior to this week. This will be the third week. And I'm going to teach Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 24. And so verses 17 through 24, and and my intent is to teach us a lesson titled, Get Up and Grow Useful. We're in a Get Up and Grow series. So let me explain to you the breakdown of Ephesians. And and most of Paul's writings, as far as that's concerned, the book of Ephesians starts with sound doctrine as does most of Paul's writings, like I said. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 explain the doctrine of what it means to be in Christ, how we came to be in Christ, the work of Christ, the blessings of Christ, the sound teachings and doctrines of what it is and how we got to where we are if we, in fact, call ourselves Christians. And so that's the first half, chapters 1, 2, and 3. In chapter 4, he starts the practical application half. Because if we are in Christ, then we should practically apply who we are. We should be responsible to be that which God placed in us according to the Spirit of God. Amen? And so we're talking about the practical application of what it means to be a Christian through chapter 4. And so last week we talked about how we are to get up and grow up. And we talked about the giftings in the church, the spiritual giftings along with the ministerial gifts in the church, and how those gifts exist for the equipping of the saints. So that the so we've been gifted and equipped to grow up in Christ Jesus. The problem is many of us don't ever grow up. We just determine to sit in a pew. We determine that we're going to do whatever it is we want to do, what makes us most comfortable. God didn't call us to do that. God called us to something. God called us to a greater work than ourselves. Amen? I am convinced that had God never intended for us to do anything other than fulfill a pew or fill a seat, as it were, He would have killed us when He saved us. Because our usefulness at that point would have been completely done. Everything we would have been good for would have been accomplished in that moment. But the fact of the matter is, it's not. He kept us here because He called us to something. He called us to the ministry of reconciliation. So we are responsible to bring other people to Christ Jesus through a proclamation of the gospel and by living as Christ lived. Everybody okay so far? All right, that's the easy part. So that's, that's what we talked about last week, that we've been gifted and equipped to do what God has called us and equipped us to do, what God has placed as a gifting inside of us. And then I encouraged you, and I encourage you this week, chase that gifting. Work within that gifting. Pursue that gifting. Someone out there needs to hear the gospel message coming out of your mouth or out of your work. So that's what we talked about this week, last week. This week I want to talk to you about getting up and growing useful. We should all be useful hands or useful tools in the hand of God. 
There's an illustration I heard some time ago, actually read some time ago, about a blacksmith shop. And in every blacksmith shop, you're going to find three kinds of tools. You're going to find the tools that are in the junk pile. They're the tools that are beaten and broken. They're dull. They're rusted. They're no longer useful for what they were created and designed for. They're just laying there in the junk pile collecting dust. And then there's a second kind of tool, and that's the tool that's on the anvil, the tool that is malleable, the tool that is being beaten on, the things that's, the tool that's having the impurities removed from it, the sharpened and polished. That's, that's the anvil tool. And then there's the tool that's in the toolbox, the tool that's already been formed, that's already been fashioned for what it's been created for, has already been sharpened, and is useful right now for the purpose it was designed for. Christians and all people find themselves in one of these three piles. Many of us constantly find ourselves in the anvil and the toolbox pile. Sadly, some of us revert back and find ourselves in the useless pile because we've allowed ourselves to grow dull. But can I tell you, that's not God's design purpose for you. That's not God's design purpose for us. God's design purpose for us is to be in one of two places, in his hand, being that useful, sharpened, polished tool, or being on the anvil, being made to be useful and sharpened. Now, that's a painful process. That's, a, that's an endurance process, but it doesn't mean that it's not necessary. We have to submit ourselves to the hand of God so that we can be useful where God calls us. Now, that usefulness happens under very specific circumstance, in very specific environments. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. How we are called to get up and grow useful. What does usefulness look like? And I'm going to do that out of verses 17 through 24. And so chapter 4, verse 17 through 24, if you want to follow along with me, it says this. So this I say, this is Paul, of course. Let me tell you who Paul's talking to. Paul's talking to Christians. Did you hear me? He's talking to the church. Ephesus, he's talking to the church in Ephesus. And so people that are probably mostly believers or people that have come into the church trying to act like believers, these are, this is the church. It's like the church is today. you got those that are highly committed, and you got those that are just here. I hate to say this. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings because it's what your grandmama told you to do when you were little, and you know if you don't, you just feel bad about yourself, but you're not actually doing anything or accomplishing anything. And I'm sure there's sometimes that the people come here that have never given their life to the Lord and will still tell you they're a Christian due to bad doctrinal teaching or whatever. But anyway, so that's who he's talking to. He's talking to a church that lives in an environment much like today's modern New York City, surrounded by idol worship, paganism, um, a, a city that listened to and considered the truth to be objective, not subjective. Whatever it is they wanted to do, they did it. And the Ephesian church was raised up out of this hot mess to do one thing, to declare Christ and make him known, which is the reason why every church is raised up. Amen? So that's, that's the environment. 
that they're in. And there are some people that are allowing this objectivism within the Ephesian church to move into the church. And Paul has not a word of correction, but just a word of encouragement um, and admonition for them. And so here it is. So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. And then this beautiful, this, uh, this beautiful sentence. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Amen. So let's talk about that. Let's tear this apart. He tells us to not walk in the futility of your mind. I want to start there, although I'm going to digress in just a moment, because I want you to understand that to be futile is to be useless. If I'm walking in the futility of my mind, I'm walking in the uselessness of my mind. I'm not accomplishing anything. And so he's saying, so this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you no longer walk as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. And so I'm going to make two points, two primary points today. And here's the first one. Our old self was corrupt and useless. Our old self was corrupt and useless. We were all, we all walked and acted like Gentiles. This is what the word says. Firm together the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. What's a Gentile? A Gentile is the nations, spoken of in Scripture primarily as the heathen. We were heathens, walking with heathens, acting like heathens. But you know what? God gave a promise to Abraham. He said that all nations, it's important, I want you to have confidence that God planned for your salvation. He told Abraham, all nations will be blessed by you. All nations, the heathen, the Gentile, they'll all be blessed by you because of the work of Jesus Christ. Of course, Abraham didn't understand that at the time, but that, of course, we now recognize as the truth. So he told Abraham that all nations would be blessed. Jesus then comes in Matthew chapter 28 and he tells his disciples, because he fulfilled the law that Abraham lived under, he fulfilled that law. He then goes and tells the disciples, he says, I want you to do this. Go and make disciples of who? Of all nations, which means we all have access to God. Praise the Lord. God hasn't held himself back from anyone willing to confess the name of Jesus. There's going to be some tough spots on this road today, just so you know. I want you to hold on to that as grace and truth. That God declared through Christ Jesus, had a plan 
initiated that plan from the beginnings and the foundations of the earth, revealed it to Abraham, declared it in Christ Jesus, and in fact demonstrates it in the book of Revelation that we, the nations, will be present in the throne room of God at the end of days. Revelation says this, 5 chapter 9 says, Worthy are you, Jesus of course, to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Praise the Lord. Not only was it revealed to Abraham, fulfilled in Christ, but there is a hope of an eternal future even for those of us that are Gentiles, that are of the nations, that were heathens, but because of Christ Jesus are no longer heathens. But you know what? Because you're not a heathen, you have to stop acting like a heathen. That makes sense, right? When I was a pre-Jesus, I acted however I wanted to act. Post-Jesus, I'm obligated to lordship. It's what... Me and Brother Easton were just talking about a moment ago. What does lordship mean? That just means I'm going to do whatever God tells me to do by the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Period. I don't like that. doesn't matter if you like that. Well, that makes me uncomfortable. It doesn't matter if it makes you uncomfortable. If the Word of God says it, you're obligated to it. Amen? That's what lordship is. And so because we were heathens, no longer heathens, we have to stop acting like heathens and put on the new self. We have to stop walking in the uselessness, the futility of our mind. Anybody ever walked in uselessness? Like you just had some crazy stuff on your mind. Some of y'all, yeah, this morning, me and my wife were trying to get ready for work. We start, Angela and I, when we went to Cornerstone Church, we go to church together, and it was just bad. Like not not going to church, not attending church, but going to church, getting to church. I don't know what happened on the car ride, but there was always an argument, right? And so we had to decide, did we want to act like Jesus when we got to church, or did we just want to act like we acted like Jesus when we got to church? And we started riding separate. (laughs) Am I right? And we still ride separate. Now, it's because I show up here at 5 a.m., but it's still beneficial to us. Anyway, I'm not sure why I told that story other than it just it's the truth. But I needed to I know that my job is to walk in usefulness, not uselessness. And if I don't walk like Jesus in my relationships and with the people that I know and demonstrate Christ to the people around me, then I am walking literally in the futility of my mind. I am being useless for that which God has called me to do. If I walked up here and I was foul all the time, y'all wouldn't listen to me. I mean, foul beyond what I normally am. Y'all wouldn't listen to me, and I wouldn't expect you to. You guys deserve to have the same pastor every day. You shouldn't have to walk in here and go, man, I wonder if Pastor Jim's going to be in a good mood or a bad mood. I'm just always going to be in a bad mood. No, I'm not. I'm always going to be in a good mood because that's what you deserve. Because only when I can project the life and love of Christ Jesus... Can I be useful and show you what it means to be useful? So anyway, but we are futile in our mind, useless in our mind. Then he gives us some examples because Paul's a pretty verbose guy. He says this, 
He said, being darkened in your understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. So he gives three examples. This is how you walked in uselessness. You were darkened in your understanding. Which means your understanding is darkened. Not that you can't know that God exists. In fact, Romans chapter 1 tells us the very fact that creation exists demonstrates that God exists. So that no man be without, without excuse. Amen? And so we know that God exists. So how are we darkened in our understanding? Because our, our understanding darkens in our sinfulness. The more I sin, the darker I get. Ask anybody that's a hardcore addict of anything, drugs, alcohol, pornography, whatever they're addicted to, it started out as a little thing, that little thing became a bigger thing, that bigger thing became a bigger thing until it literally blacked out the righteousness in them, till it blotted out, eclipsed the goodness in them. This is what sin does to us. Sin darkens our understanding. If I was prone to sexual impurity, sexual deviancy, then I wouldn't, I would have a darkened understanding of purity. If I was prone to covetousness, then I would have a darkened understanding of the need for generosity. Does everybody get where I'm coming from? We are darkened in our understanding as we submit to our flesh. You want to know how you started becoming useless? You want to know why you were useless? You want to know why you were born useless? Because you had a sin nature in you that darkened you to the understanding of who God is. But we don't have to stay that way, which I'm about to get to. Not only we were darkened in our understanding, we were excluded from the life of God. We were excluded from the life of God because we were sinners. We're sinners both by birth and by action. Did you know there was a time in human history where man wasn't excluded from the life of God? Now, there was only one of them, and that's Adam, but he wasn't excluded from the life of God. There was no sin in him. He walked with God, talked with God. I would love that kind of intimacy. And at some point in my future, praise God and glory to Jesus, I will have it. But right now, people are excluded because of their depravity, because of who they are from the life of God. We were dead in our trespasses according to Ephesians chapter 2. Dead in our trespasses and sins in which we formerly walked according to the course of the world. That is like Gentiles. Does this make any sense? All right. And in our deadness, we were hardened in our hearts. Then he kind of tells us what that means. We become callous, given ourselves over to sensuality, practiced every kind of impurity with greediness. Callous. What does that mean? It means that we were desensitized to the things of God. We were desensitized to good things. Insensitive to the truth 
finding glory in what shames us. There's a verse, Philippians 4.19. Let me read it for you real quick. 3.19, I'm sorry. I'm going to start at 18. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite. These are the unredeemed, whose God is their appetite. You ever seen somebody, it doesn't matter if they want it, they're going to pursue it. It doesn't matter what it costs them or costs the people around them. They're going to fulfill their appetite. Their God, small g, is in their appetite. But it gets worse than that. And whose glory is in their shame. We live in a world largely unredeemed that glories in its shame. It has become so useless for the things of God that we glory in those things that should shame us. Some of y'all I know, you're, you're immediately thinking, yeah, I like those homosexuals and those pride parades. Yes, that's shameful. But also, you know what else we glory in that should shame us? The fact that we're living with our boyfriend and our girlfriend unmarried having sex. That should shame us. We've desensitized, we've desensitized ourselves to the truth of God's word because generationally we've moved the goalposts. God never moved the goalposts. We've determined to make the truth well, comfortable for us. Amen. And in it, unholy. We become unholy. Lying should shame us. Being deceitful should shame us. Creating disunity in the church should shame us. We should be shamed in the things that are dishonoring to God. But we live in a world that says, man, I don't want to shame you. I don't want to embarrass you. I want you to be embarrassed. You should be embarrassed because God gave His Son, Jesus Christ, so that you wouldn't have to walk in that, and you spit it back in His face by living however you want to live. That should be shameful to you. That should be shameful to us. It should be shameful to me. This is how we become useless. Because we become callous. Because we've given ourselves to sensual pleasures. Which means that we've, we've given ourselves to whatever lust we have. And I'm not talking about just sexuality. Whatever lust that we have. We've just, I want that, I'm going to chase that with everything that I have. Let me tell you, it's going to cost you your life. Sin will cost you your life. The pursuit of sensual pleasures, impurity, greediness, which just means that I want more and more and more of those things that should shame me, that create impurity in my life. Those things will cost you eternity with Christ Jesus. It will send you to the hell that you've already been judged for. You're, whoa, 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 whoa. That's, that's ugly, Pastor Jim. Sin, hell I've already been judged for. Yeah, you've already been judged. Did you know that? You came out of your mother's womb judged and going to hell, but God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for you so you wouldn't have to go there. There's only two kind of people in the world. There's not black people, white people, yellow people, people with money, people without money. There's not people from one country versus another country. There's two kinds of people in the world. Those that know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and have a hope and an eternity in heaven with Him, and those that don't, 
because they chase after their own pursuits and are useless in their mind and are going to spend eternity separated from him, forever cast into hell. And you're all, that's not fair. What's not fair is that anybody gets to go to heaven having divinely, having rebelled against a divine God. That's not fair because we're judged already. What is fair is that God sent his son Jesus Christ to absorb the wrath that we should take, and some people don't accept it. That's sad to me. That should be sad to you. This should cause you to weep. Paul said it in Philippians chapter, chapter 3. I weep because of it. You know, the, the most incredible thing, and I don't remember the address, one of the most incredible things Paul says in all of Scripture is he said, I would, I would that I would give up my own security that my brethren know the love of Christ. He had such a heart for people. He wanted to be so useful in the hands of God that he, inspired by the Spirit of God, wrote that he would just as soon give up his salvation if it meant his people would accept Jesus. You want to talk about the heart of a pastor? Just so you all know, I ain't there yet. (laughs) But I pray for you. But that's what uselessness looks like. But we're not called to uselessness. We've been called to take off the old self. This text continues. It says, but you did not learn Christ in this way. You didn't learn Christ in greediness. You didn't learn Christ in callousness or impurity. You didn't learn Christ in any of these ways. How did you learn Christ? It says, you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. How did you learn Christ? You learned Christ because someone told you the word of God. Because somebody told you the truth. This is why I don't concern myself whether or not the truth is offensive to you. Because it should be offensive to you. It's offensive to the sin nature in us. But we're still obligated to say it. You know why? Because it's the only way by which man is saved. By a declaration of Christ Jesus. The gospel message, according to Romans, is the power of God. The power of God unto salvation for those who believe. First to the Jew, then the Gentile. Pastor Jim, I, look, I know I'm rough around the edges, man. I'm still on the anvil. I'm getting chiseled off and chopped down and all that kind of stuff. But I will never compromise the truth for you. You know why? Because I'm responsible for you. I'll be held in account for the condition of your soul. Now, you're responsible for your soul, but I'll be held in account for it. And I love you, and I don't want you to be one of those people that are without hope. And you should live your life in such a way that you're useful, that you declare the truth, that other people come to know Christ Jesus the way you come to know Christ Jesus, which is by the declaration of that same truth, the truth of the Word of God. This is how we came to know Christ. Amen? And because we've come to know Christ in this way, That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. That's pretty simple, man. I don't even know if I need to explain that. He's saying, that person you were, take that off. 
Stop being that. There's a, in most prisons, in most rehab facilities, there's a place what they call the, the de-lousing room. If you've ever been in a place like this, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's where people are so corrupt and so dirty and so gross that they've been out on the streets for so long that they, they have lice or mites on them or something. They need to be de-loused. So they de-louse them, and then they take all their clothes from them. They make them stay in a room for a couple of days to assure that if they do still have whatever it is they have, they don't spread it to anybody. They take their clothes from them, and they burn them and give them new clothes. You know that's what Jesus did for you? Jesus took your old clothes from you. But he didn't burn them. He put them on. He put them on. He gave us new ones. We're supposed to take that off. Give it to him. And give or take that robe of righteousness, that new self that he gave us. You know, Pastor Jim, I still fall. I do too. I'm not asking you to be perfect. Just understand that in the process, there is progress. I'm asking you to pursue perfection. That's what God wants from us. We'll be perfect when we're in the presence of the perfect. But for now, can we commit to taking off that trash that we were and put on the new self we've been given? I know sometimes we, we want to pick it back up and look at it. We want to try it on and see if it still fits. And God, by his Holy Spirit, so lovingly does what only God can do. Give me that, boy. You've got, no, you got no reason to have that. What are you doing with that? And then he puts us back in the delousing room, cleans us up, renews us, and makes us righteous again. That's what the Word of God says. If we ask him for forgiveness, he's faithful and just to forgive us and give us back our righteousness. That's so good. This is the God that we serve. And in taking ourselves off and putting our, our new selves on, we move from renewed. Our new self is renewed and then made useful. We become useful by the renewing of our mind. Romans 12 says, 12.1 says this. I'll get to it in just a second, I suppose. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is a spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you, how do you become renewed in your mind? Can I tell you? Write this down. This is important. People ask me all the time, how am I supposed to do that? This is how you do that. You do that by the Word of God, provoked by the Spirit of God, and prayer, and sitting under wise Christian counsel. These things will renew your mind. They will bring you to a place of transformation, not conformity. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
me read that to you again because it's important. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you know what the difference between transform and conform is? It doesn't say conform yourself. It says transform yourself. You know why? Because to conform is to take externally that which you are and press it into a mold. I can conform you into whatever. Go to the gym. I can conform your body to whatever standard you want. But all I've done is affected you externally. God doesn't call us to be that. God doesn't call us to do that. And so many of us do it. We come to church. We allow ourselves to be conformed to church standard. And then we go home and we act like we're living for hell anyway. But we look good in here. I got my new sport coat on, man. I wrote my little check. You know, so I may even served in the church. But all you've done is allowed yourself to be pressed into a mold that's not going to do anything to secure your eternity. What you've been called to do is be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I renew my mind by reading the word, by prayer by the Spirit of God, and by listening to other wise Christian counsel. Why the mind? Why not the heart? Because that which it starts in the mind will always end up in your heart. You can't worship a God you don't know. You can't confess a Jesus you haven't heard of. Amen? Amen. So let me encourage you. Take off the old. Put on the new. Move from uselessness to usefulness, from corrupt to renewed. Why? Because of this. And only because of this. And put on the new self, which is the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Why do I want you to put on the new self, become useful and renewed? Because Jesus Christ died so that you could be righteous. Because my Savior died, gave his life so that we could be together. So that we could be part of the same family. So that he could love you and spend eternity with you. There's no better reason than that. I serve him because he loves me better than anybody's ever loved me. You know why I love my wife? You know why I would never cheat on my wife? Because she loves me better than anyone has physically ever loved me. You want to know what love is? Step into the new self. Let God show you what true happiness and joy really feels like. The world can't give it to you. No sensuality. No, no pleasure of this earth can do for you what the peace and joy of God can do in Christ Jesus. I'm going to ask a question. We talked about that de-lousing room, and it's, a, it's an incredible thing to me that God takes that from us, that Jesus put it on for a time, that he gave us new so that we might have the hope of eternity. I don't know if you've ever made a confession of Jesus. But let me tell you, you've got a sin problem if you haven't. A sin problem is that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what Romans 3.23 said. Did you hear me? All of us have sinned. That's not a condemnation. That's grace. Because all of us have sinned. I look at Brother Leonard and I think all of us have sinned. And 
That's the most righteous dude I know. And God saved him. And if he's righteous, I could be righteous. If you're righteous, I could be righteous. If my pastor could be righteous, I could be righteous. Not because of anything that they did, but because they proved the work that Christ did. Amen. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So that's the problem. What's the solution? The solution is that God sent his son Jesus so that we might be saved. Let's say, for God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He had to do that because we were judged already, according to verses 17 and 18 of chapter 3 of John. So we have a problem. Praise God we have a solution. What do we have to do to acquire that solution? Well, Romans is pretty clear about this. Confess with your mouth Jesus Christ is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. You know what that means? That means confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. It means you're going to do, and that has to be a true confession. It can't be a flippant, arrogant disregard. I'm going to do what God tells me to do according to his word. Whether I want to or not, he's Lord. I'm not. And that God raised him from the dead means that he lives forever and I have the promise of living forever with him. That's the truth of the gospel. And so I ask you, if you've never made a confession before, and you would like to today, I'm not going to ask you to stand up, come up front. I am going to ask you to raise your hand, but not yet. Because there's some people in a room that have made that confession before, but have allowed themselves to fall away. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 tells us to be careful that we don't drift away. Some of us need to get back to center, get back to where God called us to be. I want to pray for both of those groups, people that haven't confessed ever and those that need to make a new confession, those people that need to realign themselves with the confession they've already made. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I'd love to pray with you. Is there anybody in this room? Amen. You know what? I'm not a high-pressure salesman. The Holy Spirit can only do what the Holy Spirit can do. We're going to pray anyway. Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you love us, that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us according to your word. God, if there's any person in this room that the Spirit is dealing with, that he's working with, Heavenly Father, I ask that you continue to work with them. Show them that you are the only way to an eternity with you. God, I ask, Heavenly Father, for those that are ready to make that confession, I pray this prayer. God, forgive me, for I am a sinner. God, I thank you that your son Jesus died for me. I ask that you forgive me of my sin and give me the righteousness your word promises. God, not just your righteousness, but your spirit so that I can have the strength to walk in that righteousness. And God, can I ask also if I fall tomorrow, by your same spirit, would you pick me up, dust me off, and point me back to, the, back to the cross where there I can find fresh and anew the righteousness you gave me. I thank you, Lord. I confess you as Lord. I believe that my hope in eternity is with you. God, I thank you for the people in this room, their pliability to the blacksmith. I ask that you keep us on your anvil 
Keep us in your toolbox so that we might be useful in your hand. We praise you and we thank you for it in Jesus' name.